0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey gang, quick bit of housekeeping for you before we start the show, and this is only relevant to those of you listen to us on the Apple Podcasts app or via Apple. So if you don't, move along, as the great Obi-Wan Kenobi would say, nothing to see here. But if you do listen to us via Apple, Listen carefully, particularly if you're an old school listener of the show. Before we became the Nat Coombe show on ESPN, when we were the NFL show, you would have got the show updated when we moved without having to do a thing. But that's because the old show had a divert put on it. So to check you your subscribe to the new feed, because the old one is going to go pretty soon, check out the Nat Coombe show. Search for it on the app via the podcast browse section or the store section if you're looking on the desktop and find our show and see if it shows whether you're subscribed or not. If you are, great, you're on the right feed. If you're not, hit subscribe and delete the old one. So head on over, not in your library, but actually onto Apple. Search The Nat Coombe Show. Make sure you're subscribed to the feed that you find. Simple. Good luck. Hello and welcome to the Natcoom show on ESPN. Good to have you with us. Hope you're doing okay. We got Tom Lugaville from ESPN in the house this week, and I'm looking forward to catching up with him on a lot of different things. The XFL, of course, Tom was part of the ESPN broadcast crew uh, for the much-missed, now lamented XFL. What happened? What went down? It all happened so very quickly. But is there light at the end of the tunnel? Will the league be coming back and what are the key learnings from it Tom will fill us in on all of that as well as giving us his perspective on Dak Prescott and whether a deal is going to get done there backup quarterbacks to so many strong backup quarterbacks in the league right now what's with that we'll find out why Tom thinks that is the case and speaking of quarterbacks Tom of course one of the foremost scouts and talent analyzers in America he's going to give his perspective on some of the Draft class coming into the league and then Tom looks at players at the high school age as well and follows them all the way through. So keen to understand that trajectory too. So so much to be getting into with Tom. So let's get straight down to business. Tom, very good to see you, man. How, how is it life treating you? What's going down?
1: Well, I've been busy to be honest with you. Thank goodness I do the recruiting stuff for high right. school football and college football. That never ends. So we can have a pandemic and that work's always going to be there. So the television side of it has is, is obviously gone away for now, but uh, still plenty of work to do.
0: We're definitely going to pick your brains on the recruiting side because I really want to get your perspective on the rookie class of 2020. And mm-hmm. these are players that many of whom you would have seen in high school, of course. And, sure, and sure. Really fascinated as well about those players that you saw in high school that were conspicuous by their absence. Come the 2020 draft; those ones that were the golden boys at the time that, that faded away. Why do you think that happens? We'll get into that in a bit for sure. Uh, we're going to talk backup quarterbacks as well, in line of the, uh, light I should say, the Joe Flacco deal. And it seems to be the, the strongest era of backup quarterbacks I can remember. So uh, I, w- I wonder if that is a conscious decision or just, a, uh, just to do with the uh, proliferation of riches at the moment in that position. If that's not overextending it too much with with the great Joe Flacco. Um, but let's let's kick off with the XFL because, of course, a lot of our listeners. Know you from your work this season on, on the XFL. That's how we, we first came to check in with you. And it's been, mm-hmm. uh, of course, an interesting old time, not uh, at all a, a sporting league unique with being affected by, by COVID. And, uh, but it, it, one of those leagues, one of those seasons that was in mid-flow and things were going so well. And then of course everything came, came crashing down as, as a result of, uh, this hibernation that, that virtually all sports has been in for months and months and months, but all is not lost. So I want to take a step back and talk about what happened with the XFL in the immediate aftermath of the season being suspended and where we are now, what what might happen to the XFL going forward? So for for listeners, paint a picture of what the last few months have looked like. (laughs) You know, I tell you, we we had
1: gotten to week five and had just come off of broadcasting our game um, in Houston. And it was an exciting time because the league had reached a point where it was starting to have legs. There was a foundation there and when we had Houston, Houston was red hot. They had just opened up the upper deck of the stadium because they were starting to increase their crowd capacity. It was all a very exciting time. I think the fans got into it. The gambling aspect was was just super cool. The rules, everybody seemed to enjoy. And then when all of this started happening, we were slated to go to New York the following week. And that was when things started getting really serious in terms of lockdowns and things of that nature. And And so all of a sudden it comes to an abrupt end. And so about a week to 10 days after that, if I recall, is when Vince McMahon and the XFL just decided to say, hey, we've got to shut this down like the NBA did. But there was never any talks. Now, there were never any talks of not being around. That was the shocking part. The, the, The conversation that we would hear is, all right, how do we move forward? How do we examine and study the first five weeks? How do we build upon this? Uh, could we potentially expand into other cities? The focus was of, of, of enthusiasm and projecting, you know, where the 2021 thing would happen. What ended up transpiring, I don't think anybody saw it coming. I don't think Oliver Luck saw it coming. Mm. I don't think anybody at the league saw it coming. I don't know what's behind it. I don't know if anybody truly knows what's behind it. But folding the league – for good at that time was a complete and utter shock to every one of us involved.
0: Yeah, I bet it was. I bet, I bet it was. And you make some great points about how well received the league was. And it's something when we were catching up during the season and, and watching it unfurl, one of the, I guess the key narratives with the XFL was innovation, was trying different things and seeing if they worked. And then that was not just that the products on the field, but also uh, your broadcast work and, uh, yeah. and and of all the all the networks involved and uniformly it was a success it, it, it accepted as a success perceived as a as a success and sure and you have the whole developmental side which is something that was very clear from the beginning ever since NFL Europe uh, disappeared and for whatever the flaws of that particular league it was again undoubted that it was a, a wonderful breeding ground for players for coaches uh and a necessary adjunct to to the nfl so for that reason alone and we've seen it with a number of xfl players now in the nfl for the time being anyway so so it's proved that that uh, that that trajectory can work do you do you retain hope at the moment of course it's messy and you've got the whole oliver luck vince mcmahon uh, mm-hmm. a situation going on, which I expect you can't really get into too much, but it, it's a messy time at the moment. But is there a cause for optimism? Is the XFL, is there a chance it will come back in a, in a different form, in a different incarnation, do you think?
1: I think we're all hopeful for that. I think it's really too early to tell because you are, you're talking about millions upon millions of upfront capital and investment that people would probably have to group together with a like-minded vision that's long-term. Because Here's the, the thing you've got to understand. When you start up a league, you're not gonna make any money for the first few years. You're, right. you're gonna bleed money. And right. um and I think that was a lot of what led to them saying, you know what, we can't sustain this right now. So dependent upon I, I think there's a lot of people out there who do have those types of deep pockets that are interested in professional football, and professional sports that that could get together and, and do it. Every, all the infrastructure is already there. See, that's the beauty of this mm. whole thing. You're not technically starting from scratch. Right. You're not in New Zealand. You'd be able to kind of hit the ground running, if you will. Um, For me, because you mentioned the developmental side of it, mm. first of all, there's a place for professional football. We can use the term developmental. We can use the term feeder league, mm. whatever it is. But there is a place for, it. and the NFL doesn't have to have an ownership stake in it. They they can use it, they can scout it, they can pull players from it. Everybody would win in this scenario. And I listen. I was involved in NFL Europe. We had Kurt Warner and Adam Vinatieri, and there all the you know Leroy Glover, all these guys that went on to be really good NFL players. They needed a place like that, yeah. and the XFL was that place now to provide it. So I hope. It's my hope it does come back in some way, shape, or form, because I think this time they finally got it right. Like I said, it had legs, there was a foundation, and now there's even more of a foundation because there's been some proof in the pudding, and there's an actual product that you can point to to say, hey, this worked. This was viable. Uh, this is something we can build upon. It's just going to take somebody who's willing to to run the risk and, and has the the money to write the paycheck.
0: I wonder whether that, as you say, because the blueprint is there and the and the precedent, uh, a recent precedent is there that that is going to make it easier for 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 uh, somebody to step in, particularly when things are leveling out economically at the moment. It's it's not, I guess, not an opportune time particularly, but uh, because a lot of the legwork has been done, it I would be surprised if, if if somebody didn't take a look at it and uh, and chance their arm with it. Uh, on the on the innovation side, I'd be curious to get your perspective on. I, I'm not necessarily asking you to pick one specific thing, but with the broadcasting side, and they say imitation is the is the the greatest form of uh, of flattery. I wonder how much of the. Uh, things that you guys brought in during your broadcast, we might see during some NFL broadcasts this season. I know it's going to be, uh, I guess, altogether different, assuming the season starts on time. It's almost certainly not going to be in front of fans in uh, many places, if at all, uh, highly unlikely. So I guess that there's going to be limitations in terms of an innovation uh, within their own broadcast in terms of how they are projecting the NFL. But what do you think... Is the type of things that the NFL might adopt. Like, for example, rocket up to players straight after the play on the sidelines, which was my personal favorite. I mean, can you see the NFL broadcasters doing that?
1: Um, well, it's not, I, it's not whether I can see the NFL broadcasters doing it. It's whether or not you could ever get the NFL to agree to it. <laughs> sure. I mean, we yeah. had a hard enough time in the XFL, even though those coaches were told, Hey, this is what you need to expect. This is what's happening. They didn't like it. Right. And they fought it at least for the first two to three weeks, and it made our job difficult. But I understand their side of it. You know, they're putting everything out there, they're putting all their play calls out there, yeah. they're in the, the flow of trying to win a game, and we're sticking a microphone in their face. Yeah. I don't think the NFL's ever gonna go that far. Talking to players potentially, maybe I could see I, I could see that maybe as a starting point where I I there's a couple other things too that I could see the NFL, maybe in college football, adopting. Number one, the kickoff return rule Mm. kickoff kickoff return was a great advancement in maintaining the excitement of the special teams play but minimizing the injury risk Mm. that was really well developed it was really well received I think the college level and the NFL level are going to be forced to take a long look at it to minimize injuries in this era of player safety right and then secondly pulling the curtain back on the replay process for officials Mm. I thought that was something. See, at first, officials are going to fight that because they don't want people to really know, you know, how how the bread's being baked. The
0: dark arts, yeah,
1: yeah. But what they, I think, they found out surprisingly was it played well with the fans because the fans had an appreciation for how difficult it was that it wasn't as black and white as they think it is, right. and that there's a lot more that goes in to the studying of the replay and the communication to the on-field official and it made the officials look good mm. it held them to a different standard of of accountability but it also i think took some pressure off of them cuz the fans had a new perspective for how difficult their job was and i don't think the i don't think anybody kind of saw that coming but that's what happened and it was a great advancement. I mean, to hear that communication as the person in the booth is going through the film back and forth and talking to that on field official, it was awesome. Yeah. So I think that's something that could potentially, you know, make a leap to the college or the NFL game. I think
0: that there's a precedent there as well in the, in the, in, in, in terms of accountability of officials in American sports, particularly how they talk to and deal with the media afterwards. And, and, and they
1: don't have to. <laughs> mm,
0: right. Right. So yeah. the, the, and compare it to a sport like rugby, right, where there is transparency in terms of explanation of the decision on the field. The, 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 sure, the officials are mic'd up in the NFL as well. But in terms of explaining what's going on, you hear the backwards and forwards. And it definitely helps, the, as you say, the understanding of the complexity at times of the decisions and what goes into it and, and, and creates, I think, a more of a, a balanced perspective in terms of how difficult the officials' jobs are. Um, Speaking of rule changes, let's move on from the XFL onto the NFL, and the uh, this is being voted on today. So we're recording Tom and I are recording this Thursday. Uh, so by the time the pod has dropped, you might well know the outcome of this one. But the changes, suggested changes to the onside kick rule, the idea being touted that instead of uh, an onside kick, a fourth and fifteen shot once a team has scored. Uh, is that an innovation too far for you, <laughs> for you, Tom? Where do you where do you stand on this?
1: No, and again, that's another move to player safety. Mm. Um, I mean, you want to talk about a dangerous play? You've got a group of guys all within a fifteen-yard line of each other, and then another group ten yards from them that are running full speed ahead into a wall. Mm. So I've, you know, th- I first heard that proposal from Greg Schiano, mm. the former and now current Rutgers coach, um, and he started really getting into rule shifts because he had Eric Lagrand, of course. Who was paralyzed and he was paralyzed on a kickoff coverage play. Mm. So he's really been into player safety as it relates to that. I heard him propose that. I think he had it at fourth and 12. Um, but it's neither here nor there. I, I do like the idea of it a little bit. I think it's, I think it's pretty cool. And, um, again, it, it would give you more options as, you know, because listen, the onside kick is what it is. M- much of it is the luck of the bounce of the ball, but everybody, everybody is, Approaching it and scheming it the same way. There's really no way to get a scheme advantage. So at least doing this would give you an opportunity to try and scheme some people a little bit, have more options in your playbook to try and accomplish it.
0: Do you think as well the NFL have looked at, you know, the more recent changes to, to onside kicks and, and very, it's very hard to convert them and it is in the best of times, but increasingly so that they just, they just rarely come off now, right? So do you think they're looking at the from a, from an entertainment point of view? Which is what they're all about, of course, the NFL. That it's much more likely that they're going to get excitement and a score ultimately uh, from, uh, you know, from a fourth and fifteen than an onside kick going forward. They can't regress yeah. what they, how they how they how you know how they approach it now. So it's uh it's all about the showbiz, isn't it?
1: Well, it is. And if we're going to take it another step, and not to go back to the XFL, if they mm-hmm. really want to do that, adopt the point after scheme that the XFL used, right. where there right. are no one, two, point three. after kicks. Yeah. you either got to go for one, two, or three. Yeah. From the two and a half, five or ten. Yeah. Um, now that would,
0: that would add a lot to it. Um, I, I, would, I would, I would, I would enjoy that. that. Yeah, I would like that. I'd be interested, we might roll a poll out on our, on our social, at the NC show is our uh, channel, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'd be interested to see what our, what our listeners think of that, whether that is a rule they would like to see in the NFL. I would, I would put a hundred percent behind that I think it would be great and uh, not just least watching those coaches that that struggle at times with things like clock management struggle at times with whether we go for two here it's just going to take it add a whole new layer of complexity <laughs> to those guys so I'd like to see that um Dak Prescott something I want to talk to you about next because that uh, rumbles on and on and still no resolution there so Prescott of course uh, an intrinsic part of this exciting Cowboys offense where all the other key protagonists have been paid. They've got their deals, they're, they're happy campers, but not so much Dak at the moment. He has got the exclusive franchise tag uh, placed on him at the moment, which has given both sides room to maneuver and, and negotiate. And that is $31.4 million. That's what it's worth there. And July the 15th is the cutoff date where a deal needs to be done. Otherwise, he will roll into the season on on that particular deal. Uh, and yet the two sides haven't come to any kind of agreement. There are loads of theories flying around Thomas as to why that is the case. And, and I understand why a lot of Cowboys fans are quite perplexed as to, as to why a deal hasn't been done yet. When you look at some of the other deals that have been done to, with players like Jared Goff, for example, when you look at some of well, the history of the Cowboys and the deal that Tony Romo got towards, towards the end of uh, his career, as a Dallas Cowboy, when they paid the money for him because they realized he was the guy, they felt he was the guy to take him forward. As they keep saying the rhetoric every single time anybody at the Cowboys talks about it, Dak's our guy, Dak's our guy. Yet, they're not stumping up the money at the moment. So what do you think is going on?
1: I don't think it's about money. I think it's about length of term. Mm. The Cowboys want at least five years, and I think Dak Prescott wants four um, the, the numbers I don't think are something that they're off base with where the the two sides can't seem to connect is if you're gonna, if, if it's going to be a fifth year, that fifth year needs to be in the 40 to $45 million range, which is what Dax company is asking for. So mm-hmm. if, if you look at right now with the franchise tag, like you said, you know, nobody's losing here. If, if for some reason something doesn't happen. He's making at least $27 million next year. Okay. But really what I think this comes down to is the guaranteed money, which I think is somewhere around $106 million right now that they're talking about with, with Dak, um, which is comparable across the league amongst the league's best. Um, but can they come to an agreement? If it's going to be five years, then Dak's camp wants that fifth year money to be big, uh, bigger than what Russell Wilson would be making, uh, bigger than what Drew Brees would be making it, all the the top guys. So I think that's what they've got to come to an agreement on. Will it happen? Absolutely, I think it'll happen. Whether it's four or five years, he's going to be in Dallas for the considerable future. And I think, you know, fans may look at this and go, well, you know, he hasn't gotten us to a Super Bowl. They haven't done this, haven't done that. But it's not so much about how the team has done. From his perspective, it's about look across the rest of the league. Who am I being compared against? I mean, there's 32 teams, Nat, in the NFL, and it's hard to name six or seven starters that you think could get you to the Super Bowl. Mm. Out of all those teams. So Dak's sitting there saying, well, if I'm being considered to being in that group, then I can't be compared with the other 24 quarterbacks because that's not what the market says right now. So he's basing his value off, I think, the, of the the rest of the market in relationship of who's got an established starter.
0: It's a great point. And I think one that is, I guess, intrinsic to uh, to the Prescott discussion, right? So a, a number of things here. Firstly, let's not forget that Prescott was a steal, really, as far as the Cowboys are concerned, a, a, sure. a low-round pick, and they've dined off that for years and years and years. His record as a starter since uh, uh, he stepped in, 40 and 24, right? Mm-hmm. they beat the playoffs twice you say he's won one of those mm-hmm. uh and he's on an upward trajectory right sure 4902 passing yards more than he's ever thrown before more touchdown passes 30 than he's ever thrown before so he's he's negotiating at the right time in that respect but here's the kicker and we hear this talk about this time and time again don't we i remember andy dalton famously for years bless him we'll get on to dalton and backups in a bit but is this guy good enough to get me to a, at least, let's say, a deep playoff run, if not necessarily ultimately a Super Bowl win in an era where, well, in the last 20 years when we've seen Rex Grossman have a deep <laughs> preside over a deep playoff run. So there is always a kind of line here where you're thinking, is this guy good enough? Prescott clearly is over that line. He's the right side of that line. But the question is, is he, in your estimation, a top five, top six quarterback in the NFL? Because there is a big difference, isn't there?
1: Well, there is, and, and I think part of the answer to that question is if Jimmy Garoppolo can get to a Super Bowl, Dak Prescott can get to a Super Bowl. Right. I think we all, you know, we, we've we got to look at Drew Brees differently. He's gotten there. He's won one. Tom Brady differently. Obviously he's gotten there. He's won a bunch. Uh, I think you've got to look at Aaron Rodgers differently. He's gotten there. He's won one. Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson, the same thing. And then that next group, cause you know, Andrew Luck's no longer in the league, obviously. Eli Manning's no longer in the league. So where's that next group of young, exciting quarterbacks? It's mm. Jared Goff. It's Lamar Jackson. All right. Um, uh, even, you know, Matt Ryan's probably in the discussion, but they, have, he's got, got the Super Bowl, haven't won one. Mm. Um,
0: Watson, you'd so, have on that list as well in that camp, I guess. Who's that? Deshaun Watson. That? Watson.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. You know, I'm just running down the list. Yeah. So you're, you're sitting there talking. If you take, if you take the guys removed, that have gotten there and won one. You remove them from the equation. There's, what, less than three or four guys? So there's there's Deshaun Watson, there's Dak Prescott, and there's Lamar Jackson. Mm. Because, you know, Jared Goff, I I don't think he's a great player. I think he's right now a very good player that had a lot of the right pieces around him.
0: Well, that's a key point. because I was going to ask you about that because how much – and the situation is everything. And, uh, and, and of course, it's ultimately an irrelevant point because of the situation the Cowboys are in right now with, with so many weapons around him offensively. But how much should that be factored in when you're talking about a four or five year deal?
1: Now, if, if you sign, it's upon the organization to then make sure that over the next four to five years, whatever they signed back to, It's now upon them to surround him with Super Bowl caliber pieces. Right. Whether that's through free agency, whether that's through the draft, whether it's through its trade, whatever. So now it goes back on the Cowboys. So the better players they put around him, the better Dak Prescott's going to be. I mean, let's, let's look at this. When, when Dak Prescott came into the league, all right, he's a fourth round draft choice. What's a, what is a rookie quarterback's best friend? a run game. Mm. You're talking about the Dallas Cowboys with one of the best offensive lines in the league and Ezekiel Elliott behind a young rookie quarterback where they were rarely in third and long. They were rarely in obvious passing situations. It was a great opportunity for him to grow. Mm. And now all of a sudden he's gotten that growth. He's produced, to your point, every year he's elevated. So now you got to elevate to the Super Bowl level. you got a Super Bowl caliber coach who's won one. You've got, uh, as you mentioned an Amari Cooper, now you get a young guy in C.D. Lamb. Mm. So there's, it's upon the organization going forward to ensure that they have the most success possible.
0: On the point of being surrounded by by the right weapons, how much is that considered by the team that's negotiating as opposed to the player? Uh, but I guess in, in, in certain situations, it could be, could be either side. How much does that need to be factored in? Because you mentioned a player like Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, I'd have in that mix as well. But players that you think will make stuff happen, if not irrespective of what's around them, but certainly can make stuff happen even if they don't have an embarrassment of riches around them. Is that the concern about Prescott? That you look at someone like... Because of the way that he plays, certainly Lamar, Deshaun Watson, Rogers, you look at these guys and you think, you could put them in almost any situation, they're gonna make something happen. Wilson is the the poster boy for keeping plays alive when, whereas, is that maybe, and it's maybe not Prescott's fault, but is that part of the issue that that there's slight negativity, or at least skepticism around him as an elite player, is because, well, not quite sure what he can do if he was in a, in a tougher situation.
1: Well, I don't know. I, I know this. I know he can create with his legs. I know he's a good athlete. When he was at Mississippi State under Dan Mullen, they used him as a designated runner. They moved the pocket. I think it's been more about how Dallas has, has developed and built him into being more of a play-action pocket guy. That's mm. not what he was coming out of college. So sure. credit to him for adapting and making those adjustments. I do think he can create when things aren't ideal. Is he a dynamic runner like, like Russell or Lamar, who's probably the most dynamic runner in the NFL right now? No, but I don't know if you necessarily have to be. I think you just – got to be good enough to extend the play. Mm. you got to be good enough not to take the six-yard loss because you didn't take that little moment and get out of the pocket and try and make something happen or at least get back to the line of scrimmage. He's more than capable of doing that.
0: What's your hunch? The deal gets done before the cutoff point?
1: Yes. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely believe that, and I think it's just going to come down to what the length of term is, and if it's five – what is that number in the fifth year? Mm.
0: Okay. Uh, let's stay on the quarterback tip uh, and talk backups because Joe Flacco, yeah. Super Bowl winner himself, of course, uh, the uh, the beneficiary of a very big deal back in the day himself, uh, is now in New York. He's a New York Jet. He's gone there to, to back up. And it's all the rage right now, Tom, backing up uh, and, and the collection of backup quarterbacks we've got. I would suggest is maybe stronger than we've seen, certainly in 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 many a year. So you've got Case Keenan, you know, starting the NFL not so long ago, landing at the Browns. Dalton, of course, mm-hmm. even if you're factoring in uh, players that are coming in and that have been drafted, like Jalen Hurts and will drop into the backup spot. James mm-hmm. Winston at the Saints.
1: Um, Which is beautiful, by the way. It, it, that could not have been a better situation for a quarterback. Now, he's taken a lot of hits when I both physically, but in the public uh, uh, eye. Mm. But when you look at his first couple of years, they're no different than Peyton Manning's first few years. right? I mean, they really aren't statistically, they, they really aren't. Mm. And he wasn't on a very good team. So now you get into that culture where you can actually watch a true pro and kind of get a sense of that. You've got a Super Bowl caliber coach. You've got good players around you. I mean, if, if he plays that right and Sean Peyton plays that right, they could have another quarterback for the next six, seven years. And credit that one, that one was beautiful. I thought I'm with you
0: 100. percent I credit to Winston as well for for taking that deal where you know he doesn't care about. I mean, it's still in, in in the grand scheme of things, in the big wide world, a lot of money. But in, in NFL terms, certainly, he's a starting quarterback. For, we've just been talking about in monster deals for Dak Prescott. Winston has gone in and taken a you know taken a, a huge hit financially because he's seeing. The upside of the long term gain, you've got to respect him for that big time. There are, you know, Mariota. We didn't mention, of course, has gone to the Raiders. So there's a lot of, lot of strong uh, quarterbacks, quarterbacks that I guess have been inspired by someone like Ryan Tannehill. You know, who uh, things hadn't really worked out in his initial starting gig in the NFL, and he took a backup job and parlayed that into not only a tremendously successful season, but a, but a long term contract uh, in Tennessee. Why do you think? this is the situation right now because it wasn't that long ago that we were saying, I'm going back three, four years, God, there are barely 32 starters in the NFL, let alone a whole load of credible starters that are sitting on the bench now or at least holding a clipboard. So what is that? Is it just a, is just uh, the way things are right now uh, in terms of just a, the, the fate, uh, fate has tr- uh, transpired to have a collection of particularly talented quarterbacks in the NFL at any one time. Or is there more to it than that? That the teams are looking at certain deals and looking at players and spending a bit more money on that position that is keeping them in the mix as opposed to players, the Blaine Gabbets of this world that bounce out of the league after five, six years because they can't get a gig anywhere.
1: So I think you hit the nail right on the head in relationship to um, the amount of quarterbacks that are in the league and the amount of experience that is involved in a Joe Flacco, an Andy Dalton, a Marcus Mariota, Ryan Tannehill, all those guys. But what what you said that was I think really really important is all of those guys that I mentioned have done had three things happen to them. One, they've aged out a little bit two they have um they've uh, kind of put themselves out of the market financially due to the third item and that is their franchise drafting a talented young quarterback mm. so you've got Lamar Jackson all right aging out and pricing out Joe Flacco you've got Joe Burrow in the situation in Cincinnati um not so much with the Mariota situation but that happened with Tannehill mm. um you you have these i, I think it's a it just happens to be that right moment in time. And you touched on this too, where all of these guys are kind of in that same age group and they've got starting experience and they've had their ups and downs, but they've had some really high highs and some really low lows. And I'll go back to what I said when we first started talking about the the quarterback position in the NFL, it's hard to name more than six or seven guys that you think could win a Super Bowl for you. Mm. So, if the quarterbacks that are coming out of college aren't ready, uh, aren't prepared for it yet, are you going to take that guy or are you going to take a Joe Flacco who has played a lot of football and if something happens, you know that you have a chance to not only get out of a game, but if something happened long term, you have a chance to actually win some games with this guy. Mm. Whereas if you take a second-year guy that was a 6th round draft choice, you make him your number two – and all of a sudden, your entire season goes in the tank. It's a great point. I right? think that's kind of the, the line of thinking there.
0: It's a great point. You look at, I mean, Teddy as well, last year, looking at oh. examples that, that have created the trend, I guess, you know, not just Tannehill and Mariota or that situation in Tennessee, but yeah, Teddy coming in, not just holding the fort, but but I mean, I look at how he's played, you know, his way into, into a gig as well. Jacoby well remember, Bissett, he
1: played well. Remember, he played well in that. In minute, but prior to him getting injured, yeah, he was ascending and becoming one. Yeah. Kirk Cousins is never even in Minnesota if that injury doesn't happen.
0: This is it. This is it. The short-term memory uh, that you see in the NFL sometimes. And this is true of draft picks as well, right? And take someone like Josh yeah. Rosen. And I don't know maybe that's not the best choice because he has, when he has had the opportunity, has has not exactly performed. But to your point, show me a rookie quarterback that has looked the real deal, right? Um, it's Rosen is just totally out of favor now. He's been written off. He's if, num, first round draft pick three, four years, whatever it is into his NFL career when he's already changed franchises, had God knows how many coordinators and hasn't really been given a fair crack of the whip. Unless there is something we don't know about behaviorally or in terms of attitude or whatever it might be. People write him off and that's, kind of, that's it. You forget players quickly, you know, particularly the quarterback position. I wonder if that is changing now because of the the, the depth in the position at the moment. And maybe it's not a particularly, as you say, uh, poignant collection of elite, elite top level Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. But there's certainly a long tail of, of capable starters that is stretching deep into uh, the kind of backup position. So I wonder whether that will change, that the players will stick around for longer and not be forgotten as easily, as readily as bats they have been.
1: Well, you hit on something very important. When you are as physically talented as Josh Rosen, all right, and you can't find a home, then it's something else. Yeah. And it's something that teams, the word's gotten out on them. Yeah. They don't want to deal with it. They're sick of it. They don't care how talented he is. They just don't want to deal with whatever it is that he's bringing to the table that isn't positive. Mm. And listen, I I don't know what's going to happen with Cam Newton. Everybody's saying, well, he's being stubborn. He doesn't want to be a backup. But you know what? The other side of that is if you're Cam Newton and you decide to not sign with somebody to be a backup right now, guess what happens when one team has a season-ending injury? He's getting signed that day, and he's going to become a starter that day. So I can see his perspective there to some degree, um, regardless of whether you're, you know, because he's a very polarizing figure in the NFL as far as uh, how good he is, what kind of guy he is. Is he a Super Bowl caliber guy? Is he kind of a front runner guy? What is he? And there's varying opinions there. But the approach he's taken might end up being the right one. Yeah,
0: I want to ask your opinion on, you mentioned Cam, right? And you say he's a polarizing figure. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of that is down to his off-the-field persona and and his demeanor. And I mean, mm-hmm. literally his aesthetic in terms of outlandish oh. clothes and the way he handles himself in post-game press conferences. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then Rosen, you say, and I remember him coming into the draft and uh, there was certainly there was a, a, a perspective that he was a different kind of character. And, uh, and there are, do you think in a league where that is accepted in many respects, that you look at, you know, Chad Johnson and, God knows right. how many other receivers or quarterbacks that are allowed to behave, uh, however they want and, and, are almost celebrated for it. Is it an issue if you're a quarterback and you're different? Are you expected, uh, I think we've moved away from the six foot five prototypical <sighs> square jaw. This is the, this is the way quarterbacks are built. And, right. You know, there are, there are different styles of quarterback in the NFL more than ever, I guess now, which is, which is great to see. But at the same time, they've all still got to be by and large, fairly conventional and conformist right is that the problem that, that certain players like cam in particular because they're not and because they're quarterbacks that isn't accepted in the league
1: i think you have to be ultra productive every single week just consistently productive a playoff caliber quarterback a sometimes super bowl caliber quarterback if you're going to conduct yourself in that way right you can't allow yourself to be open to criticism if you're not playing great and you're perceived to be a clown after the game, right. You know, I, I, and I think that like, for, for example, if Michael Jordan wanted to do that, well, Michael Jordan, every single night mm. was at his best. Yeah. Right. That hasn't necessarily been the case with Newton. So what ends up happening is you become a distraction to the organization, mm. more negatives than there are positives. Mm. And after a while, it wears on your locker room. It can wear on your coaching staff and your organization. And a lot of it is, um is – I'll give you a prime example. I'm not going to share with you who told me this story. But do you remember the Super Bowl with Carolina against Denver mm-hmm. when he sure. fumbled the ball on the goal line and didn't dive for it?
0: Yeah, 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 sure.
1: Okay, so that happened. They didn't play well. And a certain coach on that staff – when they were going in their post-game press conference, I don't know if you remember, but Cam went to the press conference mm-hmm. with a hoodie on, and mm-hmm. his hoodie pulled over his face. You could barely see him sulking. He had a very sour look the whole nine yards. And the coach mm. had told him, he's him out of the lock. He says, Cam, don't do this. Mm. Don't handle this this way. This is, you're going to regret doing this. Mm. He did it. Well, how much negativity came from that? That was all anybody talked about after the Super Bowl. Yep. That play and how he conducted himself in the post-game press conference. Well, those are all individual decisions that affect a lot of people, right? Yeah, right. So, you know, that's a long-winded answer to your question, but I, I just think you have to be so good and so productive, so consistent that you get away with it. It's almost like Bill Belichick. Everybody thinks Bill Belichick is a one of the biggest pain in the butts. We well, guess what? He wouldn't get away with that if he wouldn't win it. Right, right. He gets away <laughs> with it, and people put up with it, in terms of the media and all that. Yeah. Because he's winning. Yeah, that's yeah, how, That's how it works. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a great play, a great story as well. Let's, uh, wrap things up by talking about this rookie class then. Uh, a rookie quarterback class in particular, I want to key in on. Firstly, I'm interested in, in trajectory from high school to, to going first or, or second round. Uh, in the NFL as a quarterback. In the, These these are pretty much, I, I'd imagine, all players that you watched at the age of 16 playing high school or New York, and, uh, and and seeing how the cards have fallen now in terms of where they've landed, where they've been drafted, the, the players they've become, are there any big surprises, either players that have emerged that you just didn't expect to be this this strong, or conversely, those that have disappeared from, uh, from the, the radar? And if it is a, a case of the latter, or fallen down in terms of value, why do you think that's happened?
1: Well, the, the issue is, is there's over 1 million kids playing high school football across the United States. 1 million, okay? Less than 3% of that 1 million will go on to play college football. Wow. Yeah. Of that 3%, they all develop at varying rates. You know, some guys are college-ready as a true friend. Some guys are Jadavion Clowney. Some mm. guys are Julio Jones. Some guys are, let's just say, Brandon Ayuk. Right, Nobody recruits him out of high school, goes to the junior college ranks, goes to Arizona State. Two years later, he's a first-round draft. Yep. Right, He just developed at a different rate. Jordan Love, the exact same thing. Jordan Love had two or three offers coming out of high school, not Power 5 offers. All right, So he goes to Utah State. Well, guess what he gets to do? He's not expected to play right away. He gets to redshirt. He gets to develop at a normal rate. All of a sudden, he grows an inch. He gains 20 pounds. And he's a different player as a redshirt sophomore than he was when he left high school. Mm. So I, I think he, we we always consider the varying rates of development and how they happen at different times of the of the athlete's life. I mean, look at you look at some of these guys. You look at Kelsey, the tight end mm-hmm. um, at uh, at Kansas City. Look at Kittle, the tight end in San Francisco. Those guys weren't highly recruited guys. They weren't even overly spectacular in college, mm. but all of a sudden they found the right place and the right people around them, and an offense that's going to, you know, accentuate them. Uh, to me, so much of this sport is being in, in the right place at the right time. Yeah, right. With the right personnel around you and at a, a reasonable rate of development. I mean, when you look at, again, Jordan Love, I go back to that. Let's not forget, Aaron Rodgers was Jordan Love. It was the exact same scenario. He goes late in the first round. Brett Farr is the quarterback. He's not forced to play right away. He's forced. To, he gets to learn under a Hall of Famer. Well, guess what Jordan Love's going to get to do? Mm. I mean, it could not be a better scenario for Jordan Love. And so now the roles are reversed. We'll see how it all pans out for him.
0: Do you think Rodgers will remember how... He was treated early on and probably for the most important. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not not particularly well. But it's, and is it fair for a quarterback to be like that? I mean, he, I have sympathy in a way for Father and and for Rogers assuming that he's gonna be and, you know, his comments afterwards were were quite telling. I think I, I've, got, I've got sympathy. He he's there. He's being paid to win. He wants to win to be a quarterback for the the very statistics you've just outlined to make it all the way to the NFL. You're going to have this complete alpha perspective and sure. I hate the fact, particularly when it's a high round pick that is could have been a, a speedster receiver for you has gone on a, on your successor potentially. It's gonna it's gonna frustrate you, isn't it? But uh, what I mean, we talked about Rosen and and. and Perhaps there is a, a perspective about him, uh, in terms of character and behavior. Maybe that's what's holding him back. Rogers, sure. and going back to your point, if you're winning, everybody forgives pretty much anything, but there's a yeah. sense of Rogers as well. He's quite a tricky customer, isn't he? So do you, yeah. that's quite an interesting dynamic. How Rogers is going to deal with, with Jordan Love.
1: Well, I think to your point, the alpha dog mentality that you have to have these guys are the, the great ones mm. are so ultra competitive that it can consume them. All right. So then what's that going to do? It's going to affect your outward behavior towards others because you're so driven, right? Right. Well, now all of a sudden your franchise just took somebody in the draft that is perceived to be the guy that's going to take over for you one day. But in your mind, that one day is not for at least five years, Mm. six years, but in the back of your mind, you got to know, Hey, I'm uh, 35 years old at some point or another, this thing's, you know, I'm I'm not going to be here. He's, there's a part of him that has to realize that, but it doesn't mean he's got to like it.
0: Mm, fair enough. And so
1: I think that that's where that's probably where the competitiveness seeps in. You know, listen. Here's what you hope if you're if if you're a coach, you hope that you, it makes you continue to compete. It makes your your quarterback room stronger, and that your veteran player does right by your rookie player because ultimately you're on the same team. Right. Right. Right.
0: Time is against us. We're out of it. Uh, to be precise, there is so much more I want to talk to you about, Tom. So if it's good with you, we will. would love to have you back on uh, and, and to drill down a little bit more into this draft class as well because I feel sure. like I already scratched the surface there and there's a lot I want to pick your brains on. I'm sure our listeners would, would love to hear your perspective more on uh, on uh, the players we're going to be seeing in the NFL touch wood uh, in 2020 later on this year. It's great to catch up with you, man. and Good to yeah. see you are keeping well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Glad you see you guys are safe and healthy over there. So, Wear your mask and wash your hands.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Saluting the wise words, bud. Take care of yourself, Tom. Check in soon. All right. See you Thanks, guys. man. Lovely stuff from Tom. We will definitely get him back soon and, and deep dive a little bit more into some of that draft class, particularly the quarterbacks and a beyond, and a try and work out which ones he thinks are going to have an immediate impact. He talked about the situation, didn't he? He's absolutely spot on with that. Who's fallen in the right place uh, to make an immediate Hit or become an immediate hit with the team, with the fans. Uh, that is all she wrote for us for this episode. But there is plenty more where that came from uh, coming thick and fast all through the off season. So if you haven't already, head on over to whichever podcast you're listening to us right now, and make sure you hit subscribe. And if you're feeling in a charitable, uh, giving kind of mood, drop a review in there as well. It keeps the sponsors happy. It keeps the worldwide leader happy. Frankly, it keeps Ollie the producer happy, and that is the single most important thing out of that list. We'll be back next week with more pods. Keep your eyes and ears peeled. We'll see you next time.
1: Sports, social, podcast network.